I'm Renee Barnett. I'm Sean Holsell. And I'm James Martin. Welcome to What's Left. This is What's Left. When I said, hey, hey, what's And again, a big welcome, everyone, to our premiere show of What's Left, where we'll be discussing lots of issues relating to you and us, uh, the ordinary people, some of the things that are left out in the media, some of the things that are left out from discussion, trying really to understand why it is we live in the world that we live in today. Many different topics uh, coming up. We've got some really exciting shows uh, planned with some very exciting guests. Again, discussing topics uh, of interest to you. We've got Dr. Bandy Lee, uh, Mark Thompson, Bera Tomasi, amongst many others coming up in future shows where you can uh, find us on your nearest downloadable podcast uh, stream. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us about any show ideas or anything, really, um, anything that's come up in uh, discussion, um, whether you agree, disagree, we ask that we're all respectful to each other. But if you do want to get in touch, then please feel free to do so on info at newrennies.org. That's info at newrennies, N-E-W-R-E-N-N-I-E-S dot org. Um, for today's show, uh, we've got a few interesting uh, topics uh, coming from uh, healthcare to protests at the coronation, also including Susan Sarandon's uh, arrest just uh, a few hours from when we're recording. Yeah, we're actually uh, doing breaking news here on What's Left this morning. Uh, uh, it was a surprise to me when James mentioned uh, Susan Sarandon's arrest. I didn't, I hadn't heard about it yet. And uh, so I, I was hoping that James could fill us in a little bit about what that was all about. I understand that she was uh, protesting against uh, the horrible minimum wage laws here in the United States and in, you know, protesting in favor of a fair wage for everyone. Um, I'm not sure exactly how her arrest came down. James, did you hear a little bit more about it? Yeah, um, so for those uh, watching the show, you can see uh, the sort of moment of uh, uh, arrest for the actress Susan Sarandon, uh, as I say, uh, just a, a few hours ago. Um, she was um, essentially trying to support uh, uh, restaurant uh, workers um, who have been campaigning for better wages, um, and she, uh, her principal argument and involvement uh, in, I think they, they call it a, the fair wage organization. Um, the argument was essentially, uh, or her argument was that uh, uh, places um, like in retail uh, generally, but restaurant workers earning um, really low wages um, disproportionately affects women, single um, uh, mothers, and uh, specifically one of her arguments was around uh, single mothers of uh, of colour, uh, as you would say, in the United States. Mm. 
Yeah, you know, uh, we were chatting a little bit before we, we went to air today, and I was thinking about the whole idea and about how difficult it is for families, uh, and especially single parents, to actually live in today's world. Uh, you know, especially in larger cities where there is more employment for people. So they necessarily uh, are spending a lot of time in the bigger cities, but yet um, it, the, the cost of living in those cities is so outrageous that people just can't make it. And uh, it, it, it's, it's really a total disgrace. And as I was thinking about it this morning, I was thinking, you know, it's uh, not to get too conspiratorial, but it's really right in our faces, uh, you know, by keeping people at a low wage, uh, keeping people down, in other words, you know, you keep them in despair and angry. And so that makes people more receptive to uh, extreme ideas and to violence and things like that. So uh, it's like what we're hoping to do is just sort of give uh, a different view of things, a way of looking at things and we welcome opposing views. We won't even all agree, uh, the three of us, Sean, James and I, won't even uh, constantly all agree. You may see us kick off here uh, a time or two, which I think is a lot of fun anyway. <laughs> it, it adds a little to uh, uh, to the excitement of the subjects that we're covering. But uh, yes, uh, minimum wage is a big, big problem. Now, how does that, how do minimum wage here in America uh, stack up with uh, in other Western European countries where you guys are sitting. Sean? I, I was going to say, before we jump on to minimum wage, I think the bigger thing here is we've got protests and demonstrations protecting, trying to protect those most in need being criminalised whilst yeah. it's completely legitimate for people like Jeff Bezos to, to exploit, exploit workers, extort mass profit out of systems, and, and that's completely fine. I think this has somewhat gone drastically wrong with our political systems where, where that's fine, but yet demonstration protest is criminalized. You mentioned Jeff Bezos, of course, you know, the uh, head of Amazon and uh, a lot of other things, but we're talking about Amazon in particular and their sort of work conditions, uh, pay and, and all that sort of thing. And, uh, it's oh. it, there it, are it, things going on in Amazon, some organization going on in Amazon, and we're hoping uh, to cover that uh, in a very soon upcoming show with some of the organizers that are involved in the Amazon realm. Well, this, this, you know, the 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 notion that uh, Bezos, if he were to have uh, given each Amazon worker a fifty thousand pound pay rise. Um, in 2020, he would still be wealthier after the lockdown period, um, you know, the pandemic period, if you will. Um, he'd still be wealthier today, despite having given £50,000. So essentially, you know, workers are being driven uh, down. Um, you know, you, you have uh, situations where people are now doing two or three other jobs. There's no work-life balance. And you know, even in the UK, some of the protections to stop people from overworking um, uh, are now under threat. I mean, if you, if you look at 
you know, the minimum wage in and across Europe. Um, I can say, for example, in France, that um, you receive around about 90% of your former wage if you find yourself unemployed. Uh, so it's not a comparison, really, uh, to uh, the UK, the US, or other places that have this sort of minimum uh, wage. Um, workers in uh, and around Europe uh, receive high wages. Uh, and yes, they pay a bit more tax for it, but, you know, uh, the services, you know, that people receive from healthcare right the way through to um, you know, civic beautification schemes, you know, to make places feel and look nice, um, all comes part and parcel of, uh, of that taxation. If you, you pay something, you, you get something back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think France is head and shoulders above uh, many other countries that I happen to know about. And I've had personal experience with the French healthcare system. And I was just really amazed and, and pleased by that. And I've also seen and witnessed, you know, how they care for their people. And, uh, you know, James, you and I had a dear friend who uh, completed his life cycle a couple of years back. Um, and you and others were taking care of him during that time. And I was amazed to, to come to visit and see that Every single day, uh, a nurse came around and did things uh, like obviously uh, giving medication and that sort of thing, but also just little things that he needed done. They would wash the dishes. They would just do every little thing um, in taking care of him. And I was so impressed by that. And that's there for every single French person you know, or, or resident legal resident of France and it's it's just quite amazing well that, that's it the, the the approach to uh to healthcare uh in Europe is uh is different it's one of those uh understandings that if you're sick um that's not really helpful for someone else maybe living next door um you know there's a reason why we don't have private fire brigades uh because your house sets fire um, well, if you're insured, they'll put your house out, but that doesn't help the house next door, and then et cetera, et cetera. So it, that approach to healthcare is, you know, one of, um, you know, universal, you know, you don't have to be uh, looking for your contactless payment card uh, as soon as you pick up in an ambulance, uh, you know, you are looked after. And that that idea, regrettably, isn't, uh, isn't available for well, everyone. I think what's happened in the United States is the, you know, the opposition to healthcare for all in this country uh, has been very successful at somehow making that seem like it's a bad thing that, um, you know, we don't want that. Then we'll have crappy healthcare, you know, or everything will go down. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's just not true. And, but I think that's, they really have um, their messaging down on the uh, on the other side of this subject that makes people have a negative sort of knee jerk reaction to free services, and they're not really free because we all contribute to society. Um, but it, 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 I find that in across the board in so many subjects that we could be talking about. Uh, 
wages, health care, all that. It, it, there's a skewed view that's presented to the people. And it's, you know, they want to keep you down. They want to keep you angry so that then you can be manipulated. And then you can be, well, I mean, anyone can be manipulated. It's not people that are weak or stupid. It's people uh, given, you know, uh, the particular circumstances in their life, the particular state of mind, it could happen to any of us and, and does at various times. I mean, I, you know, I've certainly been fooled and hoaxed uh, in the past, sometimes, you know, much more publicly than I would like. Uh, but, and I know it, it's very difficult when it happens, it's difficult to accept, but I think one of the things that uh, people should hopefully look at is, am I getting the full information? Is it possible that I'm being lied to? Is it possible that there's another way to look uh, at this subject? I think as well for me, that America has this this pride in, in the sense of freedom. And for me, you're much more free in a country where if you get cancer, you're not going to be riddled with death the rest of your life. I, I can't see how. Well, I how, think you're much more free in a country where, you know, you go to the mall and you don't run the risk of getting uh, mowed down with an AR-15. But, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, yeah, it's, it, it seems, I mean, for me, it seems a bit obtuse. It seems like there is unlimited freedoms for companies to make profit and, and profiteer off people. And, and these healthcare companies and insurance companies are profits of people when they're at the very lowest point in life often. And then you get saddled with debts and then there's the, the extra stuff with that, the mental health stuff. If you're spending your time worrying and stressing how you can pay for this treatment, how are you ever going to get better? If, if you've not got that, you have a much better chance of recovery and, and living a, a long and fulfilled life. And this is uh, one of the uh, the key things. I was uh, speaking to someone uh, just a few days back. Um, or actually, it was a, a radio interview. And, um, you know, one of the uh, very different topic, but, you know, I was sort of asked, you know, why why do you think people get angry about particular topics? And I said, well, in essence, people are, and very deliberately, at each other's throats. Um, and the people who aren't are the people who are laughing all the way to the bank. You know, there's much more that unites us than divides us. And one of the symptoms is, you know, it, it, it takes so much energy to be hateful and angry. Uh, and yet people are because they, they see this other group or you know, this other religion or this other belief or whatever it is, has been the sole reason for, for their misfortune. And actually, you know, if you just lift your head out of the sand and begin to see that for healthcare, uh, for example, and everything else, um, you know, you, you've got politicians who start off, you know, we need universal healthcare. So this is in the States as much as it is elsewhere. Uh, and then suddenly they have this Damoclean conversion, uh, and it's not too long before you realise they've made a substantial donation to some political fund, to some campaigning fund, and so people end up uh, losing out. And you know, one of the things you you, you were saying before, Renee, about um, uh, 
you know, uh, people look for someone to blame and there's hate fuel. I mean, the, the other side of that, though, you know, away from the extremes is the absolute apathy. You know, poor, frightened uh, people tend not to use their vote to change a system for fear of losing what little they have. Mm. And we see this from the United States, Canada, uh, certainly in the UK nowadays anyway, um, that, you know, people, you know, we've just had some local elections in the uh, in the UK and yeah, sorry to bring that up, Sean, but um, the, the turnout, uh, I mean, Sean, I don't know if you want to talk about turnout, uh, whether for... Yeah, uh, Jay's referencing... Jay's referencing there, I'm, I'm a local councillor in local government in the UK. Uh, the turnout in my wards, where the, the area I represent, a sort of district, uh, was 28.1%. So less than one in three people exercising their right to pick who who does have an impact. I mean, we, we do have an impact in local government over stuff that matters to people, the bins, streets being cleaned, potholes in the road the state of, of some sort of local healthcare. Uh, these are things that have an impact. And, and um, I mean, I'm certain the people I've helped over the last four years and, and will continue to do over the next three would, would recognise as there's a difference in a value in, in having people who care about the community in these positions. But yeah, turnout in local elections is, is around about 30%. I mean, even in general elections in the UK, between 60 and 65% last few. I mean, that's still one in three people not not deciding to exercise their right and elect mm-hmm. people to represent them. And, and yeah, it's... it's and, 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 of course, what, what then happens, I mean, I've heard saying when I'm teaching, which is if you don't know what your rights are, they'll be taken away. And so we've just found in the UK 2 million people, perhaps higher. I tend to agree with... Uh, uh, the trade union uh, research on this um, um, was the Institute of uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Workers' Rights, I think, I can't remember, uh, Employment Rights. Uh, it was suggested that 4 million people have actually have been disenfranchised with the introduction of ID cards. Mm-hmm. So for a majority oh, of people, that's, that's not a problem because uh, a majority of people in local elections don't vote or well, I don't know. They they couldn't vote this time. So whether they suddenly wanted to, we don't know. And again, uh, you know, in national elections, um, we've now, you know, a third of people, you know, it's the largest party, they don't vote party, uh, essentially. And again, I think that ties into um, the economic reality that people live, uh, find themselves yeah, in. I think too, it, 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 at least in terms of, of here in the U.S., it has been a tendency for people to certainly vote more in the general election, in the you know national elections, and you know don't think too much about maybe skipping the you know the local elections and that sort of thing. But what we've seen is that was a huge, huge mistake because behind the scenes, these local governments and state governments have been. Uh, working to enact laws that are just draconian um, and setting things up in a way that really affect people's lives in terms of health care, in terms of wages, in terms of everything. And, um, 
you know, big mistake, not paying attention to the local elections because they're important and they're more important now than ever. Because we've got to do things from, you know, a grassroots level. And that's where it all begins in your local areas. You know, it's like people, uh, I don't know what, uh, what can be done to draw more attention to those things and have people sort of wake up to the fact um, that those elections are just as important and in some ways may be uh, more important than the national elections. And for me, I'm not someone who, who thinks that any politicians owed a vote by someone. I think it's up to us, us to go out and, and demonstrate that we're worth voting for. I don't think... I'm owed anyone's vote. I think we, we should be made to earn it. We should be made to demonstrate that that we're not of the political class that, that are just ignoring them, get elected, turn the back mm-hmm. on the community and disappear. We, we should be rooted in the communities and we should be representing representing people at a grassroots level and rather than, than talking down to them, helping empower them and giving them the skills they need to sort of build from the ground up in different community groups and supporting each other. Well, I know you were more than successful in your in your last race, Sean. Um, and I think it was probably largely due to the fact that you were out there on the ground, knocking on doors, shaking hands, talking about uh, the things that people care about. And I think that means a lot uh, to voters to feel like that they're heard. That it, And somehow in this country, that sort of thing has, we've gotten away from it so much in favor of the big rallies and, you know, getting on TV and running ads and, and all of that. But just getting down with people and seeing what they really care about. How are you going to know unless you're really talking to the, the real people that are affected? Well, that's, that's it. I mean, you, you've just hit on something there, which is, you know, the TV ads. You know, always remember there's no such thing as public opinion, just published opinion. Um, so, yeah. you know, tell wagging the dog, if you find politicians creating an issue, they're perhaps not listening to, to a lot of people. And uh, just having a look at the local elections in the, the UK, which formally concluded today, actually, the last council of Redka uh, in the northeast uh, declared um, not a, uh, a happy day for some of their more uh, right wing uh, um yeah councillors who lost uh, some seats but um it's you know what we found is these issues uh, relating to uh oh in the uk we've got the the issue of uh people coming over the channel in boats i don't know whether one of them have read some you know norse saga and think mm-hmm. you know oh, the vikings are coming kind of thing um snowflake all of that nonsense uh whatever uh that actually means uh but when you break down the areas where the local adverts were all about those issues that's where you find the ruling conservative party in the uk got absolutely tranched uh i mean you know they uh, there's no mistaking at all they they really did hemorrhage uh, what, 1,063 council seats? Um, you know, that's quite heavy losses. Uh, so these weren't the issues facing people. The cost of living, the how to uh, put sausages on plates, you know, how to pay for petrol, you know, that 
things that actually are politics. Um, you know, uh, they they mattered, and you know, for those uh, where there was dramatic change in the makeup of those councils, campaigning those issues seemed to have worked. Absolutely, yeah. I, and again, I, I knocked more doors than I can remember now and spoke to more people, but those issues, those sort of dog whistle issues weren't weren't the thing. It is, how can I afford to keep the lights on, the heat on, the roof over my head? How can I afford to keep food on the table, make sure my kids are safe? Because we've got to look at the stark reality that the kids born now are going to be worse off than their parents. And that, that's something that's completely alien to to most of, of the world, certainly America, Europe, and, and Great Britain. And we've... Politicians just don't seem to recognise that they're getting bogged down in in weird sort of entrenched battles that that don't affect normal people in in this country or or indeed in America. And we've got to realise that we we have to. If we're going to speak to voters and and people. We've we've got to talk about issues that matter, and that's at the minute the economy and how we structure work because it's it just isn't working for people. We're being more and more exploited with worse jobs. We've got automation coming down the line in AI, which is going to shift things even more dramatically. Yeah, I, I, I totally, uh, I totally agree. Um, it's not just, um, yeah, it, it's not just uh, automation. Um, that notion that society will be worse off with future generations is that I've worked out actually, uh, certainly in the UK, the last time that happened was following uh, well, the Battle of uh, Waterloo. Um, so you have to go back really to 1815 before you see a generation that was poorer uh, after than before. Um, now, there, there are lots of ways to measure progress and when we're talking about the economy really what what we're referring to is your ability to survive you know if everyone is a paycheck away from homelessness or thereabouts um you know these mat- uh, you know these issues of work and decent wages must be in your top priorities uh, and they they are when you speak to people you know i haven't yet met someone who said uh, oh someone's pronoun is the reason they uh um, you know, you know, we're not having a pay rise this year. I, I just haven't met anyone like that. Uh, maybe that's the people I hang around with. Uh, I'm not sure. Not sure at all. Uh, Renee, yeah. if we, it, it looks like we've got a special guest. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm having dog problems. Uh, the joys of live, uh, live broadcasting. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is spiky. And um, I'm having a little trouble with Bijou over there in the corner. Normally, they just sleep right through. But, of course, someone's outside working in their yard. And, you know, so that's all of their business. They, they've got to see what's going on. So forgive me. I'll try to mute them out anytime uh, I hear them making a, a noise. But anyway, <laughs> I feel like certain other hosts that always have a cat walking across their desk. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a glass glass of champagne when they uh, get an extra thousand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. For me, it's just only dogs and coffee. <laughs> yeah. it was, as soon as I said uh, tail wagging the dog. Um, <laughs> I know. 
I kept trying to push him down, but he keeps wanting to stick his head up. So, but but anyway, yeah, the the whole uh, the whole wage thing is really crazy. Now, the um, what are the are there some new laws there in the UK uh, about protesting and people not being able to protest anymore? I mean, I see those laws changing here in the United States on local on the local levels you know, certain states, certain cities. And, um, you know, that really uh, is a foreboding sign as far as I'm concerned, if we're trying to just shut everyone up, um, you know, from being able, I mean, it sort of smacks of, you know, Putin land and Russia and that sort of thing where we're not, you know, people talk about we're here in the United States because we're free, you know. But, you know, of course, I've been, other places where I have felt not one whit less free uh, than I do here in the United States. Uh, and people here are under a lot of false impressions about um, other places and how much it's sort of a, you know, an indoctrination that we were given as kids. I remember in elementary school, you know, being taught America's number one, you know, we're the best in the world and anywhere you go in the world, everybody's going to love you because you're an American. And I uh, had a little bit of a rude awakening when I was able to grow up and do some traveling. <laughs> Just wasn't quite that way. <laughs> People don't necessarily give you a pass just because you are from the USA. And in fact, it can be a detriment sometimes depending on who's in office at that time in our administration and other other factors. Well, you have but, the added advantage of pretending you're Canadian, I suppose. But uh, I have done that. You know, uh, in, in times gone by, I was advised to do that one time when I went to Europe because we just had such a bad reputation. I believe it was during the, you know, Iraq war days. Yeah, and I... I would have to say it, and understandably, wasn't uh, an ideal time to be travelling uh, uh, as uh, someone from Britain uh, due to uh, uh, Tory Blyer. Uh, yes. Sorry, yes. I can't. I've str uh, struggled pronouncing his name correctly. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the right of protest is one of the fundamental um, arguments and fundamental struggles, actually, that have. Uh, uh, been made by uh, mankind in various different uh, guises in various different times um, against tyranny, effectively, and despotism. Uh, you know, it ranges from the uh, the uh, the act of protesting something unpopular right the way through to well, revolution. Um, you know, and that entire span. As soon as you try and ban people from exercising their right to say something. And again, I repeat, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean, you know, they're invading the Rhineland. It just means you disagree. Disagreeing with people is the way that you form opinions or solidify your own ones. It's no reason to go out and shoot someone. It's no reason, uh, you know, to go and remove other people's rights, uh, if they're not infringing on yours, you just leave it as it is. Uh, protest, you know, try and change the way that people think through uh, words, not weapons. And in the UK, that has completely, uh, and the, the, the irony isn't lost when 
in on one breath you hear the minister say oh well you know we're we're sending so much aid to ukraine because you know they're fighting against tyranny but in the next sentence is well we've effectively uh, banned people uh, from protesting um and I'll, i'm just going to say this um the in uh, the past few days, um, Charles Windsor has had a new hat installed. Um, we call it the coronation. I have my own views on uh, the royal family. Um, irrespective of those views, um, people were discussing with the police, um, as we now understand today, uh, even sending voluntarily some of the placards that they were about to uh, use uh, in protest of the coronation because they firmly believe that Britain should be a republic, uh, should have a, an elected head of state or, in fact, not having a head of state uh, at all. Um, and I'll just show you some scenes and then, Sean, I don't know if you want to comment on this, but uh, some of the images are... Quite literally, as the uh, campaign group called Republic, as soon as they um, arrived, and if you're watching this program, you, you'll be able to see this uh, if you uh, do a search um, on Google or something like this. But what you can see is uh, they're unloading signs that say, not my king. And minutes after that, um, initially six people, then I understand that doubled, um, uh, were arrested for crimes they had yet to commit. I'll just repeat, no crime had been committed. And the Metropolitan Police in the UK uh, have admitted this. They've said, oh, well, after 16 hours detention uh, in a prison cell, we actually didn't have any reason to, uh, to arrest you in the first place. And for me, that seems to be premeditated. I think this was... Mm -hmm. Uh, directions from the uh, well, you you guys in the states we call it the minister for the interior. Uh, we call it the uh, the home secretary. Um, Sean, I don't know if if you know that. Yeah, I I think as soon as you start making it illegal to protest, you, you get in some very dodgy territory. I mean, especially with this, where where there was constant contact with the police. Uh, the, the whole plan demos was told to them. For, I think it was months and months before, to the best of my understanding. Yeah, last year. And even the, the placards aren't really the most offensive thing anyone's ever seen on the streets of Britain. Certainly not the most offensive thing I've seen at a protest. But by by sort of removing that voice, you, it is painting a picture that, that this country is something that isn't... that. That the people with those views don't exist, and and as we know from recent polls, that amongst young people, it's there isn't that much support for the monarchy anymore. I think it, it's going to be very different with Charles at the head rather than than his mum. Well, speaking of Charles's head, the uh, uh, tragic irony wasn't lost on me uh, that uh, each preceding King Charles has been associated with crackdowns and removal of rights and uh, all of this and. Um, I'm sure those who are familiar with history, uh, well, Charles I came to a bit of a, uh, a sticky end as a uh, result of this. And, you know, ultimately Charles II uh, uh, very nearly did um, because of uh, various clampdowns. 
if you you know and it, the again you know if it wasn't for those um clampdowns you know uh making illegal people's uh you know just rights to protest but uh to express um a view i suppose the united states wouldn't have ever been formed in, in the way because a lot of those people who were protesting uh, uh were sent to well Britain's first prison colony, as it was uh, after Ireland, uh, was the United States for just having a different opinion, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, and, and with respect to the coronation and, and the royal family, you know, it's odd that, you know, we did, uh, our ancestors did come over to sort of escape the rule of the king and uh, and the church, basically, the Church of England. And it, it, it's it's funny that we now have this romanticized view of the royal family. I think a lot of people here in the United States would have a positive view of the whole thing. Uh, we don't have anything like that here, of course. And you know, going back through history and and all the pomp and circumstance that's uh, in you know involved in things like the coronation and the queen's jubilee and all these other uh, the royal weddings and things we all sort of look from afar and think wow look at that princesses and and that sort of thing but uh for myself i just have this so this whole knee-jerk uh reaction to the idea that just by simple virtue of the fact of who you were born to that you're somehow given somehow uh, some kind of extra credit extra acknowledgement and you must be revered and respected and obeyed just because of how you were born and not because of your character and the your good works through your life and and that sort of thing I've got a bit of a problem with that, you know, although I do have that little bit of fairy tale side on the, uh, you know, you know, Cinderella and all the uh, stories of, uh, of the balls and things like that, that still I can get a little bit. I think uh, but it was Monty Python uh, who said uh, some watery tart distributing swords isn't an effective means of government. Um, <laughs> you know, um, help, help them being repressed. Bless, uh, Bless Monty Python. Yeah, um, it, it is, it's unusual. And certainly if you look at the, again, the media who uh, portrayed, oh, well, you know, you have these royal correspondents, the, the royal carriage is traveling down the royal lane. With the royal sword and the royal and everything, and it is a bit of a kick in the teeth where we have um, healthcare workers in our national health service on uh, strike for uh, they have received pay cuts each year since 2010, 35%, if not higher, but 35% is the figure um, that they've lost in pay since uh, 2010, whilst. Um, you know, a, a man and woman uh, wearing ermine with gold and diamonds um, takes two hundred and fifty million pounds uh, from the taxpayer uh, to have a hat installed. It's uh, it's a bit jarring, and especially given the fact that the 
you know, the British royal family is the wealthiest family on this planet. You know, they, they have an annual income, I think it was 2.6 billion, and they don't get taxed on it. Um, it's staggering. It, it makes no sense to me, but, you know, I wasn't born under a monarchy. I, I was, Renee, and it makes no sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but do you get, Sean, what I'm saying about the sort of nostalgic uh, view that I think they play to with people? Um, this is your queen, your king, you know like we're all in this together, but it's really not, you better not go up and try to touch him, you know, uh, that sort of thing. It's, it's, do you find, do you see anything about it that sort of like sends you back to days gone by and sort of a wistful feeling or anything like that? Or have you no. always felt this way? I've never really been interested if I'm honest. Uh, my family history, my, my grandmother came to this country from Ireland to work in the NHS. Uh, so it's it's not been steeped through through like the family, any sort of monarchist attitude. Mm. Uh, I, I've I've never really understood it. I've probably never really even thought about it properly until sort of last mid twenties when I probably started thinking about about how our country's structured, but it's it is it's it inbuilt inequality into this country. While we've got one family who, by virtue of the birth, are entitled to to sort of unrivaled wealth and, and hereditary titles and castles and whatnot, that, that are automatically better than the rest of us, it, it, it kind of yeah. it halts the rest of progress in, the, in this country, I feel. But I, I would say, though, that when you said there's not really anything in America similar, I would say the, the sort of celebrity culture sort of mirrors. You know, I was just thinking that in the back of my mind as you were talking. That's what we have. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know that we've, and it wasn't always quite this way. Uh, it was always the sort of American ideal was, you know, the guy that, you know, pulls himself up by his own bootstraps and goes out there and makes it and in America. You can do that. You know, if you work hard, you can, you know, you can be president of the United States. Well, that's true. But there was a point where we stopped sort of revering that ideal and instead became enamored uh, with the rich and famous. And you know, I was speaking with someone the other day about this, and I remember back in the mid-90s when reality television became what it is today. Uh, it, that's when it started changing. Prior to that time, reality television uh, was anything that was not news, that was real. Um, you know, documentaries were reality television. Uh, you know, news magazines with, uh, you know, focus on women or focus on the paranormal or whatever. Those were called reality because they were done, you know, with real people and not scripted. Everything unscripted and not news was considered reality TV. Then around that time along came 
the Kardashians. And the success, the rapid success, and the admiration that people started giving them for basically doing nothing. You know, they the, the, the joke was at the time, you know, Kim Kardashian was famous for being famous. And really the only thing that, you know, got her well known at the time was the, you know, the sex tape that came out with her and, and her ex-boyfriend. And I really always suspected and still do that she was the one who leaked it in the first place because she's had nothing but success uh, since that happened. And, um, but that's when we began to start, uh, you know, being enamored with, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous uh, and the, the real housewives, the apprentice with Donald Trump, you know, all those shows, they started, you know, shifting our focus of what we consider success to be strictly associated with money and fame. This is, I mean, it's really interesting for me because um, it's about this time you have this, uh, you know, what I call the great decoupling. And I think we were talking about this uh, last night, uh, this decoupling of um, earnings, reality, productivity, this great decoupling where people are asked to do more and more for, for less and less. And I think one of the reasons for that, because this was the same in, in the UK, uh, when I, you know, if you were to ask anyone, you know, it was the first reality show, um, I think you would, you'd hear the words Big Brother. Um, and it, I noticed, I mean, if, you know, if I ever could go back and change what I've studied, anthropology would be there, because it seems that as people were getting poorer, they started becoming obsessed with escapism. You know, look at what they could have. Maybe maybe we could have it one day. And it, it, this sort of fantasy. And it, take, it took a few years, I think, but eventually what happened was they cottoned on to um, uh, this idea that people were, you know, I don't want to say fantasizing, but this escapism. Um, and they started doing the news stories. They started doing the... Look at um, uh, you know what breakfast they're eating, and you know doing all of this, and so we, we reflect in today's society, and it's um, you know people are um, essentially you know obsessed with oh well they're eating quinoa, or, you know or they're, they're they're having scrambled egg frittatas, so maybe that's what I have to have in order to uh, sort of ignore the reality. Of situation, I think that we can go further back. I think the Kardashians and Trump and all that—they're symptoms of a problem. They're not the cause of the problem. I think the shift in sort of like post-war America, certainly, and then a bit later in Britain, from what well, to neoliberalism to sort of rampant free market capitalism, producing stuff to break quickly and, and pile it high, get people consuming as much as possible is what leads to to reality shows and, and things like that. But I think without that neoliberalism being injected into America and then a little bit later, Britain, and rampant consumerism and people's worth being placed on how much shit they can buy, I think that is, that's where the problems start. And then it, it ends up with, with us having to 
sort of like capital consuming itself through through media and, and yeah. trying to sell more more stuff we don't need, which isn't going to make us happy, but gives us that sort of short term serotonin boost. And I, I think, yeah, but the stuff in the nineties certainly sort of like put it into the next gear. But I think this this goes yeah. back to to sort of how we recover from the depression and the wars and, and stuff like that, and us making a fundamental mistake in in what we do. I think you're right, you know, and and, and really that uh, the advent of these types of shows that that we're talking about the Kardashians and and others, uh, you know, it it couldn't have started there. That has to be, you know, sort of a symptom and and and, and a warning for, you know, what was to come. Uh, but I think that uh, I think you're absolutely right. We had to be conditioned and and ripe for that uh for it to have ever worked for for it to have become successful we as a society were ready you know unfortunately for that type of of thing and in 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 but again you know to come back full circle uh when i you've got um we're sort of back to you know uh you know and I, please if you're going to email and complain it, this is just a phrase. Uh, the old wives' tales. Uh, uh, wives don't have tales. That is oh. definitely a myth. <laughs> Out to self, do more research. Um, but um, it was the uh, you, you see with uh, with healthcare the uh, the rise of the sort of home remedies. Um, I saw an advert. Uh, I think I shared it with uh, you and I about trying to get sunlight into your veins to cure you of something and some contraption you could put on your head for $15,000 and it would cure all of your ailments. Um, and, you, you know, and... and Where various, did they get that idea, I wonder? I, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, no one famous has uh, said it uh, <laughs> that I can think of. Um, but, again, you know, this sort of... Um, you, you know, Sean's mentioned neoliberalism, you know, deregulation, but the planned obsolescence, in other words, buy more to help you feel better, you know, but keep doing these jobs that, you know, are grinding you down, no work-life balance or anything. And then if you can't afford healthcare, um, you then have, uh, well, uh, buy this uh, and it will cure you. And just to, just to say, you know, this isn't, you know, just a symptom of things in the United States. In the in the UK, the Conservative Party removed dentistry from our NHS. It used to be free, and now what we see, uh, other than the fact that uh, I think it was something like sixty percent of the UK population doesn't have access to a dentist. Um, oddly enough, you've seen the rise of do-it-yourself kits. Watch a YouTube video and give yourself a filling. And no, that isn't a euphemism. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, oh, affix something to your teeth, you know, these it, uh, like temporary teeth and all of this. And it, it's not addressing the problem. It's trying to, you know, uh, pardon the pun, capitalize uh, on uh, people's uh, uh, ill fortune. If we did have uh, universal health for dentistry, um, you know, that would be one thing in the UK. Um, but instead, no, no, it's it's better to buy the uh, 
uh, you know, the, the sort of filling kit than, you know, try and argue for something else. You know, what about mental health care uh, in the UK and, and in France, if you know, um, you know, that's one thing here that even if you have, uh, you know, coverage for health insurance, the mental health care is not very good uh, here. And I know that we're having a mental health crisis in the United States. Uh, I suspect uh, it's not the only place in the world. You know, some people are blaming the, you know, the isolation of the pandemic and that sort of thing as being a contributor. I see a lot of things as contributing to our overall mental health uh, uh, decline. Uh, what kind of uh, system do you have there? Is it just, you know, I know you have NHS, the national health system in uh, in the UK, and then France, of course, has theirs. Uh, are, well, do they provide for mental health care? Yeah, uh, I'll just answer on the, uh, from the French perspective. Yeah, the Mutual, um, essentially one of the sort of insurances that you have, uh, which are ridiculously cheap, covers... Uh, mental Ill health, um, physical health. For example, if you have, uh, well, I know you do, Renee, uh, three dogs. If you find yourself ill, be that physically or psychiatrically, um, the mutual will, will cover you. Uh, certainly mine does um, mm. for someone to come and look after the, the animals while you're That's away. crazy. Um, the other thing, if I was a full-time worker, let's say in France, Germany, Spain, Portugal, uh, Italy for the time being, um, Scandinavia, but I'll just focus on Germany and France. Oh, I've forgotten Belgium and the Netherlands. Um, but I'll just focus on France and Germany. If you uh, go to your doctor and your doctor diagnoses you as being stressed due to work-related activity or stressed in any way, then in Germany and France, you'll be written a prescription to go to a health spa. Um, it's six weeks in Germany. I think it's four weeks or thereabouts in, in France. And that's not a sort of optional thing, that you're written off work, you go. Right. Um, and in fact, there's some advances um, of taking employers to court for causing what's called a psychiatric injury. Um, so that's the situation in Europe. Uh, as for NHS mental health services uh, uh, collapsing, Sean, I don't know if uh, you want to. Yeah, um, the NHS is, is something we should all be proud of, but it's it's criminally underfunded. Uh, I think as well with a lot of the mental health services being relatively new newer than, than the more fundamental stuff that the NHS was built on. I think that's going to be the most misunderstood area and, and therefore easiest to, to underfund even more so before we start looking at, at general hospitals. I think, though, that, that a lot of the mental health problems we see in society, the, the symptoms of a wider problem, which, which a lot of it can come down to just financial hardship, being forced to spend more time away from your loved ones working, working often two, three jobs to keep a roof over your head. None of this is how we were supposed to survive as, as people. We need community. We need to be with our families. It's not it's not healthy to spend 12 plus hours a day at work, mm. breaking your body down both physically and mentally, and then come home and expect to just reset and be okay. It's 
I think we need to look at how we structure ourselves as a society rather than just trying to always address the symptoms. I think yeah, it's, it's the wrong way to look at it. We need to look at the root causes of these problems. Well, there's few animals uh, that we share this planet with, for example, who put themselves through you know, 8 to 12 hours of intensive stress um, to survive. I mean, if you're not with me on that point, go and look up a lion uh, and you'll find that the lion sleeps for about 23 and a quarter hours a day. Um, um, now, uh, oh, speaking of animals, I've got animals scratching at the door and I'm looking at the clock and I see that we're really, really close to being completely out of time. Before we go, I wanted to uh, mention, you know, we're going to be covering uh, a lot of subjects that are important to everyone, um, including, including healthcare, including religion, including, uh, oh my goodness, what do we got? Taxes and inequity in taxes, the environment, animal rights. We're going to be covering a lot of things. And if there's a subject you'd like us to cover, uh, please write to us at info at newrennies.org. You can see it right there on your screen. And also coming up, with, I'm really excited. We got Mark Thompson, one of my favorites, being here from Los Angeles. The, he was the dancing weatherman. You may know him better as the voice of American Idol. But he's also an incredible activist in the areas of um, animal rights and the environment. And then of course, Dr. Bandy Lee, who is uh, currently in litigation with Yale University over her, what I consider wrongful uh, dismissal after she spoke out about the mental instability of our then president, uh, Donald Trump. So we're gonna, uh, all excited. We've got uh, uh, Sean's, uh, contact in Italy that's going to talk about what's going on there and what we've got to worry about. And I'm talking way too much. Sorry. And I'm going to say goodbye. So just to uh, beg the question, what's left? We've covered healthcare and it is an important issue. Most of us are born in hospitals and the majority of us pass away in them. Uh, we shouldn't let them uh, go to waste. But that's my thoughts. Uh, thank you for joining us. I've been uh, James Martin. I'm Sean Holsell. And I'm Renee Barnett. Thanks, everyone. See you, See you next time.